Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. We are in week eight of this series called You Asked For, questions that you submitted. And we said that we would address the top uh, or the most asked question, the eight most asked questions. And so here we are in week eight. And uh, we're wrapping things up this week. And I will say that there was a lot of great questions that were asked that we didn't have a chance to address. And uh, may, maybe throughout the year we'll be able to uh, address a couple of them. I know Pastor Dave is going to address one of those questions uh, next month in, in March. And the, the fact is we, we kind of dove into some very uh, interesting, complex, controversial, sensitive, emotionally filled, uh, emotionally driven, uh, tense filled questions that sometimes we maybe cross the line on political correctness through it all. And I realize that, you know, a 35, 40 minute uh, chat together does not answer all the questions uh, on, the, on the topic. We really, in so many ways, just scratch the surface. And, and this week's question, it was the number one question. We said we were going to be um, building up to the number one question. And at first, when I, when I uh, put all the questions together, I, I was surprised, actually. I was surprised that this was the number one question. Um, and then the more I got thinking about it, I thought, well, no, I guess it does make sense in some way. So the number one question that was asked is, uh, are we living in the end times? What does the book of Revelation have to say? And, and the book of Daniel, and the book of Ezekiel, these questions were asked uh, over and over again. And I understand why people are fascinated, because we all kind of like to know a little bit about the future. And so I see why people would be interested. In fact, Jesus himself did say, he prophesied that um, he was going to return. The Bible talks about that when the world comes to an end, when the end times are ushered in, it's going to happen in one specific spot. Uh, we have a map here. It's going to happen in the Middle East. In fact, the Bible says that um, the Middle East will be on the front page of everything, and Israel is going to be on center stage. Now, you look at Israel, how tiny, that little brown spot on the map. It's so tiny. The province of Ontario is 487 times bigger, just our province. Israel is about 0.02% uh, uh, of the size of Ontario. The Bible tells us that everything is going to culminate right in that little tiny part uh, of the world. And, and, and what's very interesting, we'll take another shot here, is, do you want to go to the next picture here, which uh, we know it as the Dome of the Rock, uh, is the Haram Sheriff, uh, it's the mosque, it sets on the Temple Mound. This is, by the way, where they believed Abraham took Isaac up onto the mountain. Remember that story of the Old Testament where he was going to sacrifice his son? This is the mount. This is where it happened. This is where the Jewish temple was built. This mosque has been there for about a thousand years. Uh, and, and so it's not just even Israel. It gets even a little closer. It really comes down to about 36 acres in, in Israel. In fact, let's go to the next picture. This is kind of a typical view you'll see of the city of Jerusalem. By the way, this is the most conquered city in the world. 42 times it has changed hands. The next picture. See the Temple Mount? That's about 36 acres. And that seems to be the center where all the tension is going to rise. That's what the Bible um, talks about. And the reason that there's so much tension 
is because the Jews want to rebuild their temple right there because they believe that's exactly where the original temple uh, was built. The next picture right there, I'm just going to give you an idea. This is, these gates that were originally built when they, um, these are the gates that Jesus and the disciples would have gone through when they were going to the temple. This is direct access up into the Temple Mount. But about a thousand years under the Ottoman Turks Empire, they sealed it up because the stories were that the Messiah, because the Jews believe the Messiah is still coming, and that the Messiah will walk through those gates. And so they said, well, we're going to stop that. We'll seal up the gates. And they've been sealed for about a thousand years. Across from this, this is also called the, uh, the Eastern Gate. It's also called the Golden uh, Gate. And, and looking from there, from the Mount of Olives, I think the next picture there, it's the Mount of Olives. There's about 150,000 Jewish people who are buried on the Mount of Olives because they believe when, Jesus, or when the Messiah actually goes through those Golden Gates that, that they will be the first one who are resurrected. So that's kind of a little bit about all that is going to be happening. So with that in mind, you kind of got your picture. Actually, let's go to the next picture. I think it might help us too. See this here, the Wailing Wall. The reason that the Jews go here and pray, because that's the closest that they can get to the Temple Mount. They believe that the temple, where that mosque is, where the temple was, so that's the closest they can get, and that's why they go in that location to pray. Their dream, of course, is that in the next picture you'll see, You'll see the Wailing Wall, they superimpose, this is what they want to do. So you can imagine you have a holy place for the Arabs, and the Jews want to rebuild their temple right up on the, on the mount there. So you can understand why there's going to be a lot of tension. So with that, will you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 24? Matthew chapter 24, because the disciples actually have some questions too. Matthew chapter uh, 24. As I said, we're going to just fly through this the, the, this morning. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. It says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. And Jesus says, do you see all these things, he asked? I, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. So you can just imagine what's happening. The disciples are there. They're in awe of the temple. Remember, they're not big city boys. They're, they're living down. They're kind of like country bumpkins. They're, they're down from the Sea of Galilee. They're fishermen. So they're in the big city like, whoa! They're overcome by the, the majesty uh, of this temple. They're, they're extremely impressed. And they should be, actually, impressed. It was an amazing structure. Solomon actually built the first temple. It took him about seven years to build it, and then it was destroyed, and then it was rebuilt. Rebuilt by Herod the Great. Oftentimes it's called Herod's uh, temple. It was a mo monumental project. It took him over 40 years. I think it's actually in John chapter 2, where the Pharisee says actually 46 years to build the temple. And the temple was built with limestone, white limestone. The reason why is that when the sun would hit it, it would just glisten. It would glow. And the best artists from all around the world came to contribute to the structure. Many of the walls were laden with gold. And it was said in those days, if you haven't seen the temple, then you've never seen a beautiful building. So the disciples, they are enamored by the beauty of the temple. And then Jesus just blurts out. He says... Take a look, because this temple will be destroyed and torn down. In fact, he says there won't be a stone left on top of another stone. And that all happened in A.D. 70. In fact, when they destroyed the temple and they were burning it, the gold that was on the walls that seeped through some of the, in between some of the rocks, that's why they took crowbars, literally, and separated every single stone so they could collect all the gold that was there. 
So another prophecy fulfilled. Jesus said it would happen. And when he does say that, I think it really rattles their cages because then they begin to ask, when you read through that chapter, they begin to ask all kinds of questions. Well, when is it going to happen? When are the end of times going to happen? Tell us. Because they're, they're caught up by all of that. And then Jesus says in verse 4, if you look at it there, he says, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my day and in my name, claiming that I am the Christ, and many will be deceived. One of the signs, by the way, of end times, spiritual deception. Spiritual deception. Jesus says there's going to be many people that will be spiritually deceived. We are, I think we live in a, in a time where we are primed for deception. And in verse 5, it actually says, many will be deceived. We probably live in the most deceptive time ever in history, not because we're not smart people, but because of just the explosion of technology. I mean, how many times have I been duped when I look at a photo on Facebook thinking it's a real story, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's been photoshopped. On the Mount of Olives, which I had showed you the picture where all the, they have been, so many Jews are buried, Jesus on that spot, ascends into heaven, and just before he does, he says, I'm going to return in like manner. So Jesus says right there, there will be a second coming, and the second coming of Jesus will be an epic event. It will be, the world has never seen anything. It will be the greatest event ever. It will be spectacular. It will be dynamic. It will be jaw-dropping. Paramount movies couldn't even come close to produce in such an epic event. Disney Studios doesn't have enough imagination <laughs> to create a movie of such a magnitude. And the Bible says that every single eye will see him coming. Can you imagine? Every single eye will see when Jesus comes. Now for hundreds and hundreds of years, people thought, well, how could that ever happen? You know, is Jesus gonna like fly around the earth in, in a second? Is that how it's gonna happen? But I think now that we see technology and with all of us on iPhones and iPads and computers and satellites and all of our technology, you can see how every eye would see when Jesus breaks through those clouds. Now I'm just gonna quickly, I'm out of breath. <laughs> Just going to put a quick timeline here, and then we'll talk about it, okay? So Jesus says he's going to come back. He's, he's coming back. I'm just going to put it right down here. We'll call that the second coming. Second coming, okay? Right there. Now, the second coming, according to the scriptures, how I, I see it, is going to become at the conclusion of a major event, by the way. If you grew up in church, you've, you've heard of it. If you never grew up in church, I bet you've heard of it. And the major event... That's going to happen right before the second coming of Jesus. The Bible calls it the Battle of Armageddon. To give us a better understanding, it's going to be like World War III on steroids. It is going to be something the world has never seen before. That will be the beginning of the second coming. This will usher in the second coming of Christ. The Battle of Armageddon will bring to conclusion a time period that is often referred to as the tribulation. Well, the Bible says it's going to last for seven years. And what ushers in the tribulation, what begins the tribulation, is what the Bible calls, or what we refer to as the rapture. And the Antichrist, the Bible talks about, will come with answers for the world and for Israel 
And at this time, as I said, Israel will be on center stage and the Antichrist will set himself up as the world uh, leader. Like Hitler, he will say, today Europe, tomorrow the world. In Daniel chapter 11, it actually talks about this particular battle here. It says there's actually an army going to come from the north and attack the Antichrist and the armies from the south. And a lot of scholars think it's Russia, the area of Russia will come down. And that the southern armies are like Egypt and the Arab nations, and they're going to fight against the armies of the, of the north, and the armies of the north are going to lose, and they're going to go back. But then in Revelation chapter 9, it says from the east there's going to be an army come. I can't believe it. It blew my mind. When I read this again, it says there will be an army of 200 million people. Revelation chapter 9. That's why a lot of people think that will be China that is coming uh, from the, uh, the east. And it's all going to happen in that one location. Let me tell you right now, CNN, Fox News, CTV, CBC, ABC, NBC, everybody's going to be there to cover it. So as I said, the rapture here is when the church is going to be called up to meet Christ in the air. That's talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Let me just read it to you. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive... And remain, we'll be caught up together with them in the air, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. When Jesus comes the second time, we call this the second coming. Sometimes people will call, oh yeah, he's coming, this is the second. No, no, no. There's two comings that Christ is coming. This is where he comes with the church. This is where he calls the church up. But I will say, God has a beginning and an end to his plan. And the Bible talks about that. But here's the tension. This is where the tension is. Living like he could come today, but also planning as though he may not in our lifetime. And that's where sometimes the tension comes from. But what I think really marked the beginning of the end is what happened on May 14th, 1948. It was a momentous event. Israel became a nation again. Prime Minister uh, David Ben-Gurion stood in the city of Tel Aviv at four o'clock in the afternoon and read the Declaration of Independence for a new modern state of Israel. Eleven minutes later, Harry Truman, President of the United States, recognized Israel as a sovereign nation. And when I think when God brought the nation of Israel out of the ashes of the Holocaust and allowed them to be a sovereign nation again, I believe that was the beginning of the end. Isaiah 66, verse 8 says, Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? This prophecy was written 750 years before Jesus was born, prophesying that Israel would become a nation again in one day. And that's exactly what happened. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 11 through 12, it says, Then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again for the second time with his hand recover the remnant of his people who will come from Asia and Egypt and Cush and Babylon and Elam and all the islands of the sea. And it goes on to say that God will, will gather the exiles of the nation of Israel from the four corners of the earth. And as I said, when the rapture takes place, 
And when there's millions and millions of people gone, people are going to want answers. And someone will appear on the, on the scene who will just calm everyone's fears. We know his name. The Bible says the Antichrist. And people will be ready for a world leader. In Daniel chapter 11, it talks about such a man that the whole world will follow him. If I was to give you a description of the Antichrist, I'll tell you what he is. He's a superstar. He's also the devil's masterpiece. The Bible says he's the man of sin, the son of perdition. His name literally means against Christ. He will try to undo everything that Christ has done. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it says, he will actually bring peace to the world. He will be able to bring all the parties together, get them to sit at the table, and sign an agreement for a peace agreement for the Middle East. The Antichrist will come with an unbelievable plan, and everybody will say, let's do it. As I said, they'll shout out, where have you been? So the question is, is he alive today? Oh, he could be. We don't know. But he could be. The stage is already being set. Just waiting for the actors to walk onto the stage. Revelation 13.3 says the whole world will worship him. And by the way, this is what the devil's wanted all his life, to be worshipped. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, it says when the church is removed, this is the rapture, and lawlessness will prevail. And basically makes up his own rules. You don't like my rules? Kill him. And that's why people will take the mark of the beast. Hey, you want to live? Take the mark. You want to eat? Take the mark or starve to death. And so, so many people will. He's like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He's a doctor and a madman. And what will he do? He will bring peace to the world. In Revelation 13, 7 and 8, it says, and the world will follow him. What a great leader, they'll shout. But he won't be satisfied just as a political leader. He'll want to become their God and for people to worship him. He's actually the false version of the true Christ. And he'll be running the whole show. And he'll have a stronghold on the two most powerful and influential areas of culture, politics and religion. You think, how could this happen so quickly, though? How, like, how could that all transpire in such a short amount of time? I was thinking about that. What would it take for that to happen in such a quick time? I wrote a couple things down here. First, I think, is the ability to communicate in real time. Well, we can do that with no problem. We can be talking to somebody on the other side of the world instantaneously. It has to be someone has accessibility to world common markets. That's any, a global economy. Well, that's what we have today. The adoption of a one world language, the ability to do for rapid transportation. We know that happens. An understanding for the need for global security. We talk about that. You see that on the news all the time. Uh, the acknowledgement for the need of a one common currency. That's why Europe has gone to that. All the countries kind of share the euro, thinking of it's going to be so much easier. The abandonment of sovereignty and independent rights for individuals. We see all these things happening. This is how it's going to happen. How could it happen so quickly that someone could rise? And, and Daniel chapter 4, or Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, actually it talks about a knowledge explosion. You know what's so interesting? For thousands of years, leaders, world leaders and kings would ride horses, you know, um, 
uh, King David, Alexander the Great, George Washington, they all rode horses, but in the last little bit, it's amazing the um, information, uh, the knowledge explosion, because now I can actually be talking to somebody 30,000 feet up in the air going 500 miles an hour and have a conversation with him down here on earth. It's, it's just exploded. The information is unbelievable. I mean, we all have, so many of us have smartphones. It's just everything you ever wanted to know instantaneously in your hand. So that's why I say things are all lining up for this event. And this is happening seven years earlier. Andy Christ will sign that peace agreement with Israel and the temple will be rebuilt. And he will let the Jews rebuild the temple and I, as I said, I don't know how that's going to happen. I can't see it happening. But the Bible says it will. So here's the challenge. Here's the tension. How do I live in light of that? And the light that Jesus actually could come back today. But also live as though he may not return in my lifetime. Now, I want to say, you know, it's maybe, it's kind of, for some, maybe this is quite interesting, just about the end times, how the God is lining up all these things. And for others, maybe um, it seems a little far-fetched for you. I get that. Maybe for some, it's just kind of hard to grasp. I get that. But here's what's not hard to grasp. God loves you. In fact, he loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship with him. He died so we would never have to experience this hell that is to come. He loves you. I think he loves you more than you ever could ever realize. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, take this moment and get that settled today. Invite him into your life because that is something that's not hard to grasp, that God loves you. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no way.